When Chloe Shaw married her husband, his dog Booker came along too. By then she had forged an abiding bond with the canine. The death of Booker years later leaves her bereft, but she starts to fill her days with reminiscences of the dogs in her life, including Booker and a pet from her childhood named Agatha. Safari and Otter are two more dogs who accompany her in her empty house as she travels along this journey of recollections that become the book, What is a Dog? It's a meditation on Chloe Shaw's life through the dogs she loved and lost. We see the ways they were ever-present witnesses to the sorrows and joys of childhood and adolescence. When life as a human becomes too difficult to manage, Shaw can turn to being the dog, but she must find a way back to herself, and the dogs teach her how. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I spoke to author Chloe Shaw about her book, What is a Dog? Chloe, the title is What is a Dog? And the answer is this book. This is like a well-wrought stipulative definition that answers the question. And it is not an easy question to answer at all. Uh, why did you take this on? I, so I had written an essay with the same title, um, and it was published in 2018 in The American Scholar. And that was kind of my first um, attempt to write about Booker, our dog, who died in 2015. Um, it, it was such a devastating loss. It took me <laughs> a little while to get to be able to do that. And when I wrote the essay, something really broke through um, in my being able to access my true feelings. Um, I've been a fiction writer for a long time, and writing that essay. I suddenly felt like I'd almost been hiding in my fiction. And so I was able to access all of these feelings. And, you know, I was very present for the death of that dog, where in the past, I think I've really kind of avoided those very difficult, um, even with my beloved dogs in the past, it's just been too hard for me to face. And I was just front row center for that. And um, so when I wrote the essay, um, it felt very cathartic for myself, but it actually, I heard from a lot of people that they, it really resonated with them and the loss of an animal um, and how lonely that can be because it was just an animal, it was just a dog. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand how devastating it can feel. And, you know, there's so many kinds of grief in life and um, I would never compare the grief over a person to the grief over an animal, but they are both real and they're both, it's almost like they're parallel and there's room for both of them. Um, and what happened was the book, the book was not my idea. Um, an editor actually read it in the magazine and approached me to write it. And at first, um, you know, hearing the M word memoir <laughs> really <laughs> shook me. I, I certainly never planned on writing a memoir, but when he, when he asked, the way he asked was what I'd like to write a meditation on dogs. And then I said, yes. <laughs> and that felt, that felt doable to me. I mean, it felt like a project I wanted to write and investigate because it really has been such a strong theme in my life. They have been, all of them. Um, and, 
you know, more recently in my marriage and childbearing, um, finding myself kind of struggling at times where I wanted to just go back to my childhood way of being the dog instead of being myself. I just wanted to disappear into my dogs. You can't do that in a marriage <laughs> when you have kids. So I, I just, um, it was just a really helpful process to investigate why that's always been true for me. So I, but I asked that question because I, I realize it must have been very difficult and that one does need time and space away from such a devastating loss. And I hear what you're saying. I think sometimes people just don't really understand the gaping hole that is left after the loss of a, of a pet. So I like this idea that it's a sort of a parallel loss. Not everybody really understands that. The story really does start with with Booker, this is a dog that your husband had already and brought into the marriage. How was it that your relationship with Booker took such hold? And in some ways, I think I'm holding a copy of your book right now because of Booker. You write, I lost three whole wriggling dogs before Booker, but he's the one whose gilded entrance and exit compelled me to ask what a dog is. And then elsewhere in the book, you write, just as Booker's life so exquisitely fused my separate selves, Booker's death left me splintered all over again. Booker was a very special dog in your life. Even you had dogs before and dogs after, but it, it this book starts with Booker. He, so he was an extraordinary dog, just, I mean... I know I'm biased, but he had a real, he had like groupies and stuff. He was really, <laughs> truly magnificent. Um, but he, his role in my life was so important because, you know, first of all, he, I met Booker and Matt, my husband, at the same moment. Um, and met Booker was the reason I agreed to even meet Matt. I wasn't interested in meeting anyone at that point, but my friend Sid cleverly told me, did I tell you he has a dog? And I said, no, when shall I meet the dog? <laughs> And so that was a huge um, part of it, but it, it grew much bigger because I just, he was my, he was the first um, dog of my adult life. You know, my, my beloved childhood dog, Agatha, I had from when I was six till I was 18, and she died just a month before I left for college. Um, and that, that was certainly devastating. Um, and you know, she stayed with me. I, I couldn't talk about her for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and she still is so much in, in my heart. But Booker was my first, you know, I, and I didn't have a dog in those years between. Um, so when I finally had a dog again, and I, I, was, I found myself, um, I was working from home when I moved in with Matt and Booker. So I became his kind of full-time caretaker. And I think it was because you know, when I left, when I had Agatha, I was, you know, last time I saw her, I was 18. And so she'd been the dog of my adolescence and childhood. Um, when I was so constantly just, she was, you know, I'm an only child and she was my constant companion. And I was really trying to um, escape within her quite often. And um, I think when I was with Booker, I suddenly, Saw, I saw I could see that from the outside more. I could see the that tendency in me from the outside rather than the inside of the dog. Um, and I think Booker 
you know, it, it was his life, but it was also that I, it really was his death and having to, to kind of confront that. Um, like I said, I think I've, you know, I, I really avoided those difficult um, sort of conflicts and difficult decisions and um, losses in before that. And so when I just so kind of jumped in, um, it was so important to me to be there for him. And I think that, you know, it took a while after he died for me to really, for that to resonate with me and what, what that meant um, and how he had really, um, just by being with me and then not being with me, he'd left such a mark that I had to kind of take a moment to think about what that had meant and why that was. And I, I think it really was just, I wasn't hiding as much anymore. And I really, I sort of credit him and the loss of him. Well, you do write about how different it is to be the adult person of a dog versus what it's yeah. like to have a dog as a child. And it is such a different thing and it's a big change. So being by yourself with Booker was a big moment and you write that the entire shape of, he said, the entire shape of my adult life was thanks to the wet lean of this one colossal dog. But, you know, the other thing, too, as you say, when you were very young and your parents adopted Agatha, the first Agatha did, did not survive. She was a very sick little puppy, and your parents adopted yeah. another Agatha, who was Agatha too, but then just the Agatha. Yeah. And the memories that you recall about her are so incredibly they're vivid they're resonant i just i loved reading the anecdotes that come from a child's memory mm-hmm. and in that same chapter about agatha you can see how the anecdotes change a little when you become an adolescent and a teen experiencing the things that we do at those teenage years, right? And the point of view changes slightly to sort of where that narration and approach that telling. And I was so struck by how Agatha remains Agatha, like ever-present, reliable, a little bit older, a little bit slower. But what's really so underscored there that I thought was so beautiful was how you were you were changing and then also how you were still sort of in that as you say sort of dealing with things in in a different way and your your mother was in that role that then you assumed when you were a mother your mother was in that role with Agatha at the end that you then had to assume that's such a poignant and lovely uh thing to consider about this book no, I think that really came to mind, what, you know, referring to your previous question about Booker, um, that really came to mind when I was preparing for his death. Um, you know, it was like a whole preparation because we had, we had our beloved vet come to our backyard. We were lucky she would do that and we could do that. Um, but, you know, we had, he was huge and we, had to, we wanted him buried in our yard, so we dug this huge hole. It was just so, um, I don't know, visceral. And I just kept thinking of my mom and how, you know, it was very different. We, she took Agatha to our vet and had her, you know, she, we were hoping she wasn't as sick as she was, but we all knew she was. Um, and 
you know, she took her to the vet where she was euthanized, but she just went by herself to do that. Um, and I just thought how, how, you know, how different it was and how far I'd come, I guess, that mm-hmm. I was able to do this. I mean, I also had Matt, we did it, we had did it all together, but it did strike me how that must have been so hard. You know, something that comes through here for me is that the stories about these dogs, um, even Safari and Otter, you know, the dogs that came after uh, mm-hmm. Booker, they are what help me know the humans in your particular world, your parents, um, your husband, your children, Josh's mother, your Aunt Margot, mm-hmm. Uncle Bob, Matt's father, your, you know, your parents. It's This is your M word. This is your memoir. And I think it's important to say that and and make it clear um, for the listeners, too, who haven't yet read the book, that we learn so much about you and the conflicts that you're facing as a child and then that you continued to face as an adult. Um, that's really underscored here, like these shifting roles, these transitions from child to to mother and the things that we have to absorb as mothers sometimes in our roles as caretakers of the pets you know sometimes that, like at my house I, they call me the food lady the, the dogs you know look at me as the food lady <laughs> I'm the food lady too <laughs> <laughs> you know I'll take it that's an okay uh, role but this is really your your story I mean it, I, I just love the way that that comes through and it's not that you're defined only by goodness no it's not just that you're defined only by your relationship with these animals that are were so important in your life or are so important in your life but that this is really this was really a way for you to talk about yourself and these things that you were going through um i just think it's such a um an interesting way to tell the memoir that, you know, people sort of will say, oh, um, it's one of those dog books, right? right. Like as if, it, as if there were anything wrong with that. But right. it is a dog book. And, you know, it is about dogs. I mean, yeah. and, it, and it is about dogs in ways that people have never read before. Mm. Um, in such a beautiful prose, a lyrical prose, um, but you're, this is really also your story, too. I, I just thought that that was so interesting. I, I kept trying to figure out what what's harder, to write about these beautiful animals that were such a big part of your life or to write about yourself. I think both are equally challenging. Yes, no, um, thank you for saying that. I, um, I think, again, what helped me get through this book was what Bob, who, who asked me to write the book, um, uh, he, he just, you know, this, this idea that it was going to be a meditation on dogs. And while that's a little broad in a way, the, the best part of the editing process was, I think I did six drafts of the book over two and a half years. And he, every time I handed one in, most of his comments boiled down to more dogs. <laughs> because the beginning drafts definitely had a lot more just personal stories about my life because um, I didn't I, again I didn't plan on writing a memoir so I really didn't know where to begin um, so I did include a lot more about the the rest of my life what that also helped I have to say in 
choosing what went in the book and what didn't because um, that's also pretty overwhelming when someone asks you to write a memoir. Um, what helped again is, is the idea that this would be kind of me as sort of almost channeled through all the dogs in my life. And, um, you know, when you talk about all the other people in, in the book, um, I think I think the way those stories are told are also, you know, they're sort of the way I have experienced life, especially, I think, as a child, but that stays with you, I feel like, your whole life. Um, actually, I was listening to your show um, with Gabriel Byrne the other day. Oh, yeah. And I loved he had referenced um, Louise Gluck saying um, that you ha um, what is it you have everything happens once in childhood. Yes. The rest is just memory. Yes. And I just love that because I feel like that really resonated with my experience of, of growing up. And, you know, I feel like all of the processing I've done to write this book. I feel like all ch just stems from like the first time I did all of those things. And you just kind of move forward practicing for the rest of your life mm -hmm. um, and remembering. And so I do think, I do think the way the book ended up forming um, in the way you described, there is a way in which I've always just kind of accessed human life through animals. There's such a portal there for me. I've learned so much from the dogs and my relationship with them. And then, you know, as with, with Otter, for instance, he's become, he, he just made me realize, wow, he is the most dog dog I've ever known. You know, and I really feel like I don't, I don't embody him. I don't, he doesn't embody me. We are, we are woman and beast for sure. And I, I kind of love that. It's, but it's a new feeling for me. It's not just melting into the dog. I I hear you. I hear you about Otter. And it was an interesting part of the book. You adopted Safari. You went on those uh, kind of late night stealth searches on Pet Finder. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> Where you were looking for another dog and, and you found Safari, who just sounds like this um, another amazing dog in your life. And I do love this Venn diagram that you have in the book of your fears and, and Safari's fears. And that you write that after Booker died, Safari kind of came into his own as his own little dog. And you appreciate the courage it takes to face a day full of fears. I just love this about Safari. But then there's Otter, a very different kind of dog. And I don't want to spoil things for our listeners who will read the book. But the thing of it is for me, is how true this is and how relatable. I come to that part of the book and I see how this is a reality we come perhaps to as adults who have loved and lost dogs that we're, we're making our own pack. We're not replacing a dog we have lost. We're just trying to keep our pack going. Dogs are not just interchangeable and, you know, I, I lost one so I'll have another. But, but that you were really in search of these beings that not only do they need your love and your care, but that they they were your pack in a way. Not to sound too, not to make it so trite and, and oversimplified, but I didn't. I did. I really saw how you were not just replacing them, but that you were find looking for them, a very specific dog, and and finding them. And I don't know. There's just something very beautiful about that. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would almost describe it. So the way I looked at it, it instead of replacing when, when Booker died, um, you know, the reason, one reason I wanted to get another dog while we still had Booker was he was such a wonderful, amazing, um, truly incredible animal that it, it kind of broke my heart to imagine that he would die and then there would be this kind of gap and then maybe we'd get another dog. I really wanted him to kind of live on like a bit of him to come through with the, with the next dog. I, I like the overlap there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's why, um, you know, as Safari got was getting older, um, I was starting to feel that that kind of the way some people want more babies. <laughs> I'm done it too, but um, you know, I suddenly I just wanted now a dog for Booker and then also Safari to kind of live on in after Safari is gone. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of more my theory about the. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, so I, I was very interested to read about how your children um, interact with the dogs. Um, and that was another part of this, of the book that I enjoyed was the way that your, you observe your children, that you, you want to keep them from that horrific sorrow of, um, Sandy Hook, which you write about also. I mean, they're so interesting, all of these life events that are intersecting, um, you know, illnesses of our of our loved ones and the struggles that our loved ones are going through, um, the struggles that you're going through, but then the, the struggles of a real life out there too that intersect yeah. and how you, while you are, observing these these dogs and living your life and and doing the things that you have to do that you're so aware of sparing your children of sort of the more horrific parts of of uh the pain that life can bring like with the death of a of an animal like what happened with um with casper the the tadpole yes yes yeah, I, I, that's such a tricky balance as a parent, I think. Um, and especially because I think in my childhood, so much of the really difficult stuff was was often, you know, my parents were had their best intentions, but often tried to shield me from the really hard stuff. And I think I would have, you know, as hard as it was, um, I want my kids to have a, a more of a balance of that, of you know, being exposed to it, even if it's really sad. But of course, there's also a limit, you know, d- depending on their ages. And I do think often it's kind of the dark beauty of pets, but often that's a child's first loss. I mean, if they're lucky, it's their a child's first loss as an animal, as a pet. It's kind of a beautiful way to practice, I would say, the, the, the bigger losses that are inevitable down the road. And so, yeah, starting with, with Casper and then Booker, that was a big one, but our kids were so little. You know, my daughter was only two, and my son was five. But my, I think my son still remembers it. I, I see the balance of trying to share more with them and having, having them, again, I keep using this word practice, but it just feels right because there's so many different losses in life. And I think, you know, having them be able to know enough, but not maybe too much. 
and that's a three, that's a hard place to find often with kids. When you were very young, um, I think one of the things your parents couldn't shield you from maybe because they weren't so aware of it was this issue that you were having with a kind of disassociation that you would do when things yeah. got really difficult or even if it was just uh, you know um, a simple trigger of of your anxiety I mean it could have been one of a number of things and you write about your relationship with music and how that changed over the course of your life with you know perhaps the dog's nearby also but this subject um seems closely linked to the struggles that you write about and how you sort of go through this process over the course of the book i mean this is a memoir it is about dogs but it is also about this lifelong learning that you've had to do about yourself the dogs helped you float to use your word even as they forced you into spaces where you could not float and, you, you know, you had to be uh, very grounded and very strong and very much the one in charge. But then you could float again. And you find this thing called tough girl that I, w that I w was so interested in, uh, or more to the point, the way you found your way to yourself, not moving to the go-to of disassociation, but finding another way perhaps to deal with some of the struggles that you write about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I definitely um, had a tendency to kind of float off um, very often into my own head. It just felt like, you know, almost like my childhood room um, felt like my, it felt like my whole world often. It just, I, when I opened the door, you know, I could be whoever I wanted to be. Um, and often Agatha was with me, and I could cry, I could listen to music. I often listened to music in order to cry as I got into motherhood and marriage. You know, there's, there's both the floating off and the being the dog. They're, they're fairly similar, although I would say the floating off is even away from the dogs. I finally walked into this gym called Tough Girl where it's mostly women, although men are welcome. Um, and it's just this incredible place where a, another home for me, it's a safe place. It's a room full of women lifting huge weights. Um, not, not for like, it's not even about the muscles, although the muscles feel great. It's, a, it's about what's inside. Um, and all of these women gathering and cheering each other on, um, you know, the, the owner, my friend Krista Doran, founded it after she had had her, her first child. And um, she, she just invited a group of women to the top of this East Rock in New Haven to start working out and being together. And they could, you know, just gathered with whatever equipment they had. And this turned into this gym. And I never, you know, I never knew that feeling of, of wanting to be strong. And again, I talk about its physical strength. There's no doubt I developed some muscles there. <laughs> but it was so much more about what I developed inside and the actual, like, actually showing the fact that I wanted to work hard and even, like, 
yell out and give high fives and, you know, be in this community that was so, um, so much about inner strength more than anything else. Wow. And I just see how it all comes to this point, you know, by the end of the book where you're figuring so many things out. I think also, too, because of Otter, because of your dog Otter, these, you know, these sorts of challenges. And then this very dramatic scene with with Otter and you coming to a place where the music itself, your relationship with music was now you could appreciate the music and not simply use it to sort of escape or float away. You know, the Bruce Springsteen songs, for instance, or the Bob Seger songs. But I, I think the way that you just sort of incidentally find your way to this other outlet, I just, I found it so, I just found it so remarkable. Um, and I, I don't know, there, there's just something about that physical strength, as you say, that sort of replaces something. Um, you're just using your brain in a different way, I think, too. Um, so I just, I just found that so interesting. Sandra Cisneros once said that we should all write obituaries for the pets that we lose. I have tried that with the deaths of a, pe- a conure, a pet conure that I had, or a cat that we had, um, mm-hmm. or our dog. But I, I have to say that it feels very self-conscious. At, at the beginning, it's, it feels like drudgery, um, especially if it's, you know, too soon. Like, I, you almost have to know when yourself, when it's okay to just not talk about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you can find the space to articulate some of these things, it can be a very healing thing. I mean, it, it can just help you I think recognize, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, what what a big part of our lives our pets are. That they're not just like this extra thing that we that we sort of have around the house, but that they're they really are a part of the family. So I just feel like this book, and and I have to say, like this was a this was a Kleenex book for me. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, so you put us right there with you, but I found that some of the Kleenex moments were the moments where it was about you when you were younger, and when, and then even after your after your marriage, when you were older and dealing with so many things. There's something very remarkable about. I love the idea of that Venn diagram that I mentioned before because of the the intersectionality of these relationships. We're just absolutely completely linked with these with these animals. So. I think this is such a, a remarkable tribute to all of the dogs in your life. There are a lot of dog books out there, as I said, and I think that those books do find their people. But I feel like this particular book is different in that it is so much your story and your story of your struggle. The dogs were always there. I want to ask you about your writing process. Was it a Kleenex kind of a writing process for you, too? Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Um, it it was. I actually so you know the dog house sections when I was home alone with the dogs. Um, 
and actually ending a doghouse section uh, <laughs> stint right now. My, my family returns tomorrow after a week away. Um, but I really had to kind of clear the house in order to have some space to to think, to process. Um, and at that time, I was also pretty deep into my therapy. And so I was having this, you know, my writing process was really raw at the beginning, um, which I think it had to be. I think I had to just let myself just write whatever, you know, like just writing about the dogs, but also any memories that came to mind um, that I thought might relate to somebody. Um, and so, interestingly, as my therapy um, proceeded and the drafts proceeded, you know, and I was going to Tough Girl, mm -hmm. I think everything merged to kind of just, you know, ground me more. And, you know, therapy also is kind of a lifelong process often. And it really just melded with my ability to finally write real things. Like I said before, writing in fiction for so long, I, I feel like, you know, I loved writing sentences, but on the whole, I felt like I was kind of unable, even in a fictional world of my own imagination, I couldn't really let it all go. And I think once I wrote that essay about Booker and then started allowing myself to write this book and was doing so much work in therapy, um, you know, I went through a very raw period for sure. It, it was like a good year and a half where I felt like I had no skin on. Um, but, you know, you just kind of keep showing up and things, you know, I think both for me writing, first it was Agatha, then it was writing that kind of mm -hmm. I could disappear into. And that was almost my therapy before I did therapy. Um, but all of those together just helped shift me forward with each step. And I hope more other people other than quote unquote dog people relate to this book because I do think I do think it's about, you know, it is a dog book, but I do think it's also about, you know, childhood, girlhood, motherhood, womanhood, anxiety, um, marriage, um, loss, you know, grief and love. So I I hope that those will also resonate. Those themes will also resonate. Chloe Shaw, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, too. Chloe Shaw is the author of What is a Dog? This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rizzotti composed our theme music. Kathleen Creedon is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides.